0: Episode three of Fiction Forward, where our fiction is intersectional
1: and our ideas are forward. Yeah, uh, what
0: take That was our uh, that was our guest. In case you didn't notice, her name is Daphne. Hi. didn't know already. I'm Jackie. I'm Kelly.
1: And we have a guest today. Hi, my name's Daphne. I am a writer and reporter and I love literature. I minored in creative writing, so I basically spend most of my time reading books, whether they're good or bad, and hoping that they can inspire me.
0: Nice. So kicking off episode three after our um, two and a fifth Two and a fifth episode. <laughs> Two point fifth. This episode is about the black witch who isn't black. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> We're gonna do uh, a short summary about this book. Basically, it's a fantasy novel, complete fantasy world, um, written to be it like an epic fantasy. The the author talks a lot about how she likes Lord of the Rings and stuff in her interviews, so that's definitely what she was going for. But in the YA world. Um, I didn't type up a summary for this. (laughs) Oops. So this summary
2: is coming from bookbrowse.com, and it says, Ellering Gardner is the granddaughter of the last prophesied black witch, Carnissa Gardner, who drove back the enemy forces and saved the Gardnerian people during the Realm War. But while she is the absolute spitting image of her famous grandmother, Eleryn is utterly devoid of power in a society that prizes magical ability above all else. When she is granted the opportunity to pursue her lifelong dream of becoming an apothecary, Eleryn joins her brothers at the prestigious Furpax University to embrace a destiny of her own, free from the shadow of her grandmother's legacy. But she soon realizes that the university, which admits all manner of people, including the- That's a great way to phrase it, summary. (laughs) Including the fire-wielding winged Icarals, the sworn enemies of all Gardnerians. It's a treacherous place for the granddaughter of the Black Witch. As evil looms on the horizon and the pressure to live up to her heritage builds, everything Ellerin thought she knew will be challenged and torn away. Her best hope of survival may be among the most unlikely band of misfits- Misfits, what? If only she can find the courage to trust those she's been taught to hate and fear. So, in a basic sense, white girl goes to university, learns that racism is a bad thing. <laughs> Eventually, Eventually.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Are you sure we she work got to that point? Awake. Oh, yeah. uh, should we mention the spoiler alerts? <laughs>
0: oh yeah this entire episode is one spoiler <laughs> so. Yes,
2: yeah, so if you haven't read the black witch pause this now go read it come back and listen to the rest of what we're saying but if you don't care either way continue Stay. Listening.
0: yes <laughs> it's gonna be great can we get
2: sure. the
1: name pronunciations before we continue though
2: oh oh yeah, right let's segue into that <laughs> jesus christ so there is a lot of different characters in this book Almost too many characters sometimes. Um and we're all kind of split on how to pronounce their names. Um to hash this out, I pronounce the main character's name as Ellerin. Is that cool?
0: I pronounce it as Elorin. Well, I say Ellerin.
2: <laughs> well fuck you, Jack. Great.
0: Ellerin.
1: Ellerin is her name.
2: <laughs> Perfect. Okay. And then there is uh Y V A N.
1: I was calling him Evan. Ivan. Ivan. Evan. <laughs> <sighs> Kelly.
2: I could I could agree with Evan.
0: Yes. If, if okay. That's cool. <laughs> I'll just keep getting outvoted. <laughs> we'll go <in. laughs> Wait, okay, so it's Ellerin. 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 Okay.
1: And Evan. Evan, yeah. Evan.
2: So perhaps an even larger controversy than how to pronounce everyone's names in this book is the book itself. (laughs) (laughs) Nah. Um, One blogger wrote a very strongly worded 9,000 word review about the book, basically saying that it was possibly the worst thing to ever
0: grace YA literature. I actually have an exact quote of the 9K reviews, like the first paragraph of it. The Black Witch is the most dangerous, offensive book I have ever read. It's racist, ableist, homophobic, and is written with no marginalized people in mind. That's the exact quote, just so that everyone's clear. Most dangerous, offensive book I've ever read. Jesus. So we're just going to kind of pick apart aspects of this
2: review and we'll be giving our own opinions on the book of course but mainly we're going to focus on the characters and the conflict and whether or not we believe this controversy is founded or unfounded and why that is
0: also i want to point out that we're not just gonna be like only focusing on things that the review focused on we're not like here just to complain about this one reviewer it's just that this review got a lot of um attention and it's kind of at the center of the entire controversy so it's a good way to to kind of hit every point that people are upset about it's a good jumping off point
2: yeah so let's just jump right into it because there is a lot to get Uh, through here
0: Um, So first, I think that we should probably talk about a couple of overarching themes throughout the entire book, just so that everyone's on the same page of sort of the world that we're in that we're talking about. So, Mm -hmm. Kelly, do you want to start off with talking about authority? Yeah,
2: so one of the reoccurring themes throughout this novel is the power that authority has in controlling society and especially in controlling the individual actions of characters. A lot of times characters make decisions in the book based on fear of consequence from some authority figure or another. For Eloran, that is often her intensely religious society. Um, For other people in her society, it's a father figure or some sort of patriarchal family figure that won't let them do what they want to do, essentially. This, for Eleryn, takes the form of her aunt sometimes, even though Gardneria is a very patriarchal society, which is set out pretty clearly in the first chapter or so of the book. Eleryn doesn't have parents and was raised by her kind of, like, hippie Uncle Edwin... Who's like really detached from politics. So she's very sheltered about what's going on basically everywhere else in the world. So her aunt kind of steps in as that authority figure there. And this is true for a lot of other characters in the book who aren't part of Garden Area. Uh, the Lupines, which are a race that kind of has more wolfish characteristics, kind of getting into that. Literally werewolves. Literally werewolves. werewolves. <laughs> <laughs> Um, They have very strict kind of rules as to who they're allowed to really interact with as well. Um, So authority gets in the way of a lot of decision making and influences a lot of decision making in the book. And it's one of the main conflict drivers, basically.
0: I also want to bring up before we get into the nitty gritty parts, just the fact that um, the world... That this takes place in, um, other than authority, the other main part of it is the church. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they refer to it as the church, but it's religion, basically. There's a lot of priests and a lot of priestly people in Elorin's Ellerin. It's fine. In Ellerin's <laughs> life. Who are constantly telling her that um, basically anything that isn't a gardenarian is horrible doesn't matter who or what it is anything outside of the church is terrible for all of these reasons everything i think that everything outside of their race is referred to as evil ones Mm
1: -hmm. or like
0: evil in general not just the winged demons quote unquote um called the icarals But everyone. So, like, not only is she sheltered, and I think that her uncle did her a huge disservice for, like, not telling her, like, anything about the universe. Mm -hmm. Um, Not only is she seriously sheltered, but, like, all she knows is that supposedly everything that isn't in basically her family and her bloodline because she's in, you know, her grandmother was the Black Witch.
1: Anyone outside of that is equal to her. She hasn't met anyone, so. (laughs) Was it just me, or, like, trying to place this historically in, like, a time frame, I kind of put it, like, right in the midst of Jim Crow, but it also has, like, certain glimmers of, like, 1776, like, Jeffersonian Hamilton era. It touched on so much where, like, she's in a place where people are able to interact with each other, so they're able to go to university and stuff like that, but it still has this deep-rooted segregation about it that touches too much on like the like the Christianity aspect of it that's a lot more Jeffersonian like Columbus era you know Mm -hmm. like Catholic church like Christianity and religion aren't as deep rooted in Jim Crow era but there's segregation so she kind of mixes like both of them but if I had to root it somewhere historically I think it's like very very early like abolishment of slavery development reconstruction era
0: Yeah. That's probably a good call and I think that it was really confusing at times like honestly it read sort of like the author was confused as to where in like a fictional timeline it would be. Yeah. (laughs) So. I think that may have been done on purpose a little
2: to try to have the book have more of like a universal appeal just because there's aspects of the book that harken back to like American politics and American race relations but then there's also a lot of like Nazi imagery later on in the book with characters wearing armbands to support a certain priest who wants to basically commit like racial genocide <laughs> against anyone who isn't Gardnerian but
0: um, even like no yeah, big deal
1: even along with that like the whole sending them to the Purine islands Mm-hmm. Like all, like oh, yeah. like when you actually hear about literal slaves, they are like poor people of a certain race in the book on this entire other like country. Like they're in this. It's like a literal labor yeah, camp. Like, but like a whole country. Yeah, like they are. They are colonized. <laughs> yeah, like, they are colonized. Yep. So it's not even like she's mixed so much of history into one point that it's kind of hard to know, like why are certain things acceptable here and then not? It's just... yeah, it's a weird mix.
0: (laughs) It is really strange to read. Yeah,
2: it's hard to draw parallels between like specific timelines, but there's definitely a mix of different anachronistic elements, you know? Going off of what Jackie said about religion as well, this feeds into another main theme of the book that I kind of feel was pretty relevant throughout a lot of the scenes and that was the idea of trying to break down this binary of good versus evil so for Ellerin and her religion there's only good basically and evil there's really no mixing between the two everyone in her race is supposed to be pure blooded so there's not supposed to be any mixing of any other races happening <laughs> She well we later learn that that's definitely not what happened because <laughs> but they have this idea that they are like pure and good and they're what they refer to themselves as the first children and the ancient one or their like deity god figure created them
1: specifically and everyone else was just evil can we like unanimously agree though that it's like very very like catholic christian religion based like you yeah. When she explains, like, the whole making of the Icarol and all that stuff, I was like, you copied and pasted the Bible and changed some names. Yeah! (laughs) Yeah, because it's like... It's literally the same. Yeah, because it's like the Icarols fell from heaven
2: or, like, thought that they were too good to be in uh, whatever their equivalent of heaven was at this point. she calls them... And they were bad.
1: Yeah, she calls them Icarol demons. And I'm like, oh, like, that's a really, like, kind of mean slur. And then I'm like, no, they're literal demons. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like
2: oh my gosh and then later on in the book too even though there's not really like a clear heaven and hell within her religion she confronts the icaroles that she's rooming with at the university also another spoiler alert and you know they're eating <laughs> they're like... eating cake and having like a good time in the in the great hall and she comes up she's like the denizens of hell do not get to eat cake and it's like, oh, my God,
0: I know. Yeah, it's like, where, hold on, wait, where did this concept of hell come from? But it's also, very, like,
1: where did, like, that scene come the, from? Because that was extremely out of character. No, yeah. no, no, no. Literally, she's done some real out of character stuff. Like, the first time she meets Fallon and she's like, oh, you could wear wool or whatever. I was like, this girl had no cojones this entire book. And mm-hmm. now you want to pop up and be on some I'm aware too. To the girl who can literally rip your head off. I was like, (laughs) what? (laughs) It's like, that's out of character. Yeah, like,
2: the only time she really stands up to any sort of authority figure until, like, very late into the book is Fallon randomly a lot of times. And even when she's doing it, her internal monologue is, I don't know why I'm doing this right now, basically. Oh my god. (laughs)
1: Like, I'm just like, no. If she's, like, your biggest bully or your threat everything that Ellerin does is like oh I can't oh I won't oh I'll die oh my god and then all of a sudden she's like yeah take this in the face and like who do you think you are it's like what (laughs) (laughs) Wait, wait 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 sis hold on that's not how this works
2: Yeah, because Fallon is a level five mage. She's poised to become the next black witch. She comes from a very powerful family. Like, she's literally terrifying. Like, her descriptors in the book are so, like, animalistic. Like, they describe her smile as, like, feral a lot. And she's like, yeah, I think I can take this girl on. I think this is going to end well for me. Like...
1: Or, like, even the snarky stuff she says to, like, like, between Fallon about Lucas. Or, like, when she brings up Lucas for no point, I'm like, now you're instigating issues. I was like, you, basically, when we found out that you had no magic, which I really don't think that you don't, well, you do have magic, I'm pretty sure of it, you told me on page one. But, like, <laughs> but, like, I'm literally like, why are you instigating with her? Why are you picking fights? And you can't fight. Like, you Mm -hmm. you can't fight. And nobody likes you, so nobody's gonna help. Nobody's gonna jump in for you. Yeah. What? (laughs) I was like, this doesn't make any sense. Oh my
0: gosh. It literally makes no sense. But jumping off the parts about Fallon, I think um, one of the first uh issues that the the 9k reviewer had was that there's so much girl hate um and she pretty much said that like any female character in the book is irrelevant and like never comes back and is just completely irrelevant basically so why don't we all start talking about some girl hate um (laughs) yeah i wouldn't I wouldn't agree that there every
2: other female character is irrelevant. There is Diana who is a lupine, so like the the werewolf people. Go and Diana! I love Diana so Go much. Team Di-
1: hashtag my favorite team Diana. <laughs> I want an entire book about Diana. If you get nothing else from this book. I literally, (laughs) yes. Or this podcast. Like a ten book series. Oh my gosh, no. Like, she wrote her so well. Just, uh, her and Wraith. That's, just give me, give me a whole series on them. (laughs) And Diana's, like, this very
2: strong, blunt, like, unapologetic character. She's kind of, like, her culture is very much the opposite of Ellerin's. Ellerin's is very almost, like, puritanical, in a sense, where Mm -hmm. all the Gardnerian women are covered up. They're very modest. You're not allowed to talk or even intimate about, like, sex or any type of, like, sexual relations. And then here's Diana walking around butt naked pretty much wherever she wants to, and she's like, I don't see a problem with this. What is, like, what's your guy's problem? This is my body.
1: (laughs) Diana was just a boss, like... That's it. But along that, I don't think that it was so much just, like, catty, unwarranted girl hate. I think she, I'll say that, that's the one thing I think she did do really well. Mm -hmm. I mean, she brought in some unnecessary characters, like, like, Paige came in and went, and then, like, Fallon was there for, like, part one, and then she disappeared until she showed up looking at, like, ready-to-fight Ellerin. and I was like, wait a minute, this character still exists? Like, I completely (laughs) forgot about her, like, I didn't know she was important. Me too. (laughs) But like I think it's all warranted enough where like you need those you needed those girls to kinda be like the mean evil ones who are all like Fallon's gonna save us if anything happens. Like we don't have to be Ellerin's friend. Like, you look like your grandma, great, but like you're pretty useless. And but Ellerin's also annoying as hell. Like if I met her in real life, I would probably be annoyed with her and just be like, Please get the hell away from me because you're useless. First of all, I was trying to figure out, I was trying to figure out how old the dang girl was, and then, like, when it's like, oh, she's 17, I'm like, you're 17 and you're still tattletaling. Like, you're still being a little whiny brat. Running to your boyfriend to fix your issues, running to your aunt to fix your issues, running to everybody else and your brothers, and I'm like, no! I was like, no, no. So the girl hate, I completely was for it. I was like, get her. (laughs) (laughs) Hurt her feelings. (laughs) Hurt her feelings. I don't care. Like, I just I just didn't care about Elleryn at all. <laughs> and I think that, like,
0: something that the author definitely did on purpose, or at least it seems like on purpose, is she made the more um, seen-as-evil people, like Fallon and, like, um, Vogel, who's the politician who basically wants to, like, wipe out every other race. Um, those two people have, well, Vogel's not really in very much, but neither of them really have a personality. Um same with kind of Aunt Vivian, like her whole personality is just that she's really
1: puritanical. Mm-hmm.
0: That's no. it. Aunt,
1: Aunt and Viv, so... whatever her name was, on Aunt this, Viv, she was <laughs> she was she was horrible. But like I thought, she I thought she was written so well for a reader. I I personally think the
2: girl hate made Ellerin's life a little more believable, just because of how intensely patriarchal her society is. Yes. You know, Fallon is in this position where she is in possibly the most powerful position a woman could ever be in, in the entire Gardenarian universe. And if anything happens to that, she doesn't really have anything else. Well, I mean, she's still a level five mage, so she would be able to still, like, make a name for herself. But it makes sense that she would protect that pretty fiercely... And be really combative and kind of like vicious towards other people who she might see as a threat and Ellerin just being the granddaughter of the previous Black witch is already a threat.
1: Wait my question was this, there's so like there's so much on this book about Ellerin being the granddaughter and looking like her grandma Mm -hmm. but like no one really mentions the aunt. I'm like isn't it more important to be somebody's daughter than their granddaughter? Aunt Vivian already has
2: Probably one of the highest, like, mage council seats that any woman has had in their universe. So, like, and Vivian's yeah, also very I powerful think... as well. Um, but just because she doesn't have the I magic, Fallon's, by default, is more powerful in that sense. Um, and there's there's even parts in the book where Ellerin is like, I really wish that I had a female role model to look up to. Um, so, female or... I should say, like, other women in this world for her have just kind of acted as competition up until the point that she, you know, was working with Diana and, like, working with Winter and Ariel, her roommates. Because the only other function that, like, women have in garden area is to just get one-fasted, which is, like, just getting married as quickly as possible to someone else. So every other girl is kind of competition to get to, like, the best man before they're snatched up and wand-fasted to
0: someone else, you know? Yeah. Which is also, I feel like, like, there was uh, some complaints about how the two characters, Ellerin and um, and Fallon, were just fighting over a man and how, like, that's terrible and stuff. But it makes perfect sense because the, the society that they're in, like, it's very important that they basically, like, marry into a really powerful family, especially if they're really powerful, like Fallon. So... It, it makes sense in the universe that that would happen. It's very realistic, in my opinion. But um, but I think that a lot of people were angry about them fighting over a dude. Which, to be fair, the
1: dude was awful. <laughs> yes. But he was hot. <laughs> but he was hot. Fuck you, Lucas. Just like everyone else. But also, <laughs> fuck you, Lucas. Yes. <laughs> I like I do get annoyed with like reading like, literature or watching movies where it's constantly, like, every time two women get together, they're always talking about some man. And, like, Ellen does it a lot. Even when she's talking about, like, Evan, it's, like, constantly this setup of, like, some point of malehood. Like, the story relies on her wand fasting. It doesn't, like, it's like Frozen. It's like, Frozen doesn't work if we don't have Kristoff going along the whole way selling us this idea that the man is important. Like, They like men are just always put so far forward. But I think also, too, in that same breath, like I read a lot of literature and it's a lot about a lot of white people like, you know, you want to change, but it's kind of just like you, you take it as it is. And I think that for Fallon, for her to, for her only flaw to really be, like, stuck on this guy, I think it was more impactful than me being, like, if Fallon showed up and was like, hey, Ellerin, I really like you, and I think that, like, we should be best friends and, like, I can teach you these skills. I would be upset. I as a reader, I would be terribly (laughs) upset. I would be like, no. No.
2: (laughs) Yeah, and you can kind of see how Ellerin's relations to other women characters in the book kind of changes a little bit. Um... Because Diana initially appears as this kind of threatening character, just, like, kind of in the same way that Fallon is initially, just because the Gardnerians have all of these, like, ridiculous notions about the Lupines and, you know, oh my gosh, they're heathens and blah, blah, blah. So she's, like, you know, her her and her friend Aslan are, like, terrified to even be near them. Um, But by the end of the book, or I guess more towards the end of the book... Elleryn's like, oh, well, it would be nice to spend some time with you and your family, Diana, you know? Like, this very, like, openly, like, nude and blunt and very, like, physically powerful woman is less threatening for Elleryn at the end of the day than, like, Fallon is.
0: Jumping off our conversation about all of the gender issues, of which there are plenty, um, there's also just a huge amount of racial issues in this book which is main like the main part of the reason that the book got so much attention um so a lot of the quotes on the 9k word review that we're talking about uh are in my opinion like some of them are taken out of context it's a little strange to be reading them because as a reader you know that that's not what those quotes were meant for um so i just want to read an exact quote from the review that says i'm mostly going to stick to the racist bits because every single word that comes out of the character's mouth is catty girl hate which we just talked about but she does say that she like pulls out all of the racist quotes and ignores everything else um even uh, i know we mentioned before that aunt vivian for example is a character that you're supposed to hate like that's the whole point of her character but even so the reviewer like includes a lot of quotes from her and touts them as like like this is the author saying, you know, racist things and the character believing them and stuff and it's like normalized. But it's I don't think that quotes like that from characters like that are normalized. Like you're supposed to think of it and be like this seems
1: weird. <laughs> like yeah. this seems bad coming from this horrible character. <laughs> it's like if you took a Mark Twain quote and just like put it on the shirt or something it's like no 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 I mean the book is trash the book is trash but no (laughs) we know why his name it's true I mean we we know why he is named and we're Jim
0: (laughs) like we get it and we are I mean don't get me wrong we're going to talk about a lot of problematic things in this book (laughs) but a lot of the quotes uh from the original review are taken out of context so in case you look it up and you haven't read the book just so you know Um, we're not gonna go through every quote and be like, this one's out of context. Mm -hmm. Because they're all out of context. (laughs) Just be aware.
2: (laughs) Um, that point you made about behaviors being normalized, I feel is kind of the difference between having just a completely entirely problematic book and then having like a book that had like good intentions, but then came off kind of problematically. You know, I, I don't know if there's really a difference yeah. there,
0: but uh, there's definitely
2: yeah. a difference
0: <laughs> because I, I don't know if you guys uh, listened to the last episode where we talked about fraternize and how horrible it was. i got to bring that up. Um, <laughs> in my online review, I did have a, a part about how to tell the difference between normalizing bad behavior and just having a character that is shitty so like you're allowed to have bad characters in your books feel free write a person who's a terrible human being go for it but there's a difference between having a shitty person in your book and normalizing it so like if you're rewarding if you're having a character reward someone for their shitty behavior that's normalizing it if you're having a character listen to someone's shitty ideas and not think to themselves oh this is shitty that's Unless, (laughs) at. Unless <laughs> please explain.
1: <laughs> yes. You have to be doing it for an effect. <laughs> like, there needs to be a reason behind it. That being said, there's
2: still plenty of problematic things that <laughs> Ellerin's character does throughout the book that we can definitely. Her name talk is about no yet. longer
1: her name is no longer Elleryn at this point. Her name is now basic Becky. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Don't be confused. <laughs> Do not be confused. And I think that it is really interesting also since the book is written in first person. Mm-hmm. So so the narrator is really flawed in herself and she can't you can't like break character to be like, oh, this is racist. Like she has to think of it herself in her own brain. Although the author so it's just,
1: the author does break her character and says, Oh, this is, is insane. No, you can't just figure that out on your own in the course of like five seconds. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, that whole professor scene, that just, it blew me. I was like, I just read, like, 400 plus pages of you saying racist, horrible, bigoted things, and then you went to your professor who you love and adore was singing his praises. He says, like, one word, and it's literally still telling you that you're a great person, and you're like, oh, that sounds biased. I I think everything (laughs) I've ever known before is wrong now. Like, what? No! No! (laughs) No. Yo, I had had a problem with that, too, because...
2: The part where she starts to change her ideas more is when she's confronted with new ideas by a different authority figure. You know, like, the struggles and voices of, like, the minorities or just, like, the other races that she meets has, like, no weight on her decision-making. At all. At all throughout (laughs) the entire book, you know? and
1: She's like, I'm "I'm gonna need another white opinion on that. Oh, you said you were impressed? (laughs) You said you were impressed? I don't know if I can believe that. Let me ask my wife friend. <laughs> like, what? It's like, hmm, but I haven't seen you being oppressed. I mean, so. I've never personally been oppressed, so I don't think it's a real thing. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Like, what? Like, even... Which is why her name is basically Becky. Basic Becky. Like, literally, <laughs> even this part, even the part where Evan was like, when she's like, oh, do you like my outfit? I'm like, oh my god, you're so annoying. And then he goes, no, I hate it. It was made by slaves. And she's like, oh, my God, the slaves made my clothes? That means the blood and sweat and tears of those beneath me have touched my skin. And it's like, what, girl? And then all of a sudden, she pops up the next day in rags. And I was like, if this wasn't the stereotypical white people find out that, like, white people have bad history, goes, gets, goes buys dashiki, and gets dreads. Now they are one with the earth. And calling their mom Queen Africa. Like, what is going on? I was like, did she really just do this? She did just do this, right? Okay. All right. We'll go with it. (laughs) <laughs> oh my god.
2: Like, the the worst part is, too, it's like, she's not even, like, entirely convinced after her no! talk with pr- Professor Christian. Like, it's like, wow, I have all of these different, like, history books. Which, so like, that in itself was kind of cool because it showed how, like, a lot of the other histories were also, like, I don't the same know, it's like- different. Yeah, it's, like, it's a really dangerous line to tread to kind of be, like, well, everyone's prejudiced, and that's all the same type of thing, where it's, like... (laughs) Oh, my God. Like, if you were going to apply that to, like, American race relations, it's, like, ah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, even when it gets to the part, when it gets to the part about, like, him explaining the history, and she's, like oh, well, like, it's like, you guys used to oppress the Gardnerians, like, the what is he, the FaZe, or what is he? uh, He's a Celt.
0: He's a Celt.
1: Celt. She's like, oh, the Celts used to oppress the Gardnerians, and if it wasn't for you guys, like, this wouldn't have started. And it's like, that is the number one, like, I don't know crap about racism, and I'm not gonna go read a book, but I'm gonna tell you right now, slavery didn't start in America. Africans were selling (laughs) other Africans. So, boom. And it's like, (laughs) No, dickwad. Like people were not cramming each other into boats and creating chattel slavery and then killing them off with like syphilis and other stuff and guns. I'm like, no. If I was like in, if I was in a war torn area in like some place in sub Saharan Africa, and my village gets to goes to war with another one, like yeah, there might be some prisoners of war, but you know what's gonna happen? Somebody's gonna be scrubbing my floor. They're not going to be getting whipped on the back and, like, pushed over the edge of a freaking boat. I was like, is she seriously writing this in this book right now? And, like, she kept it so, like, this seems reasonable. No, Elleryn, it's not. Like, what your people have done, I'm like, he literally massacred people. Your, Your grandfather was Christopher Columbus. And you are over here, like, well, you guys did it first. What?
0: Yeah, like, like,
2: actually, like, some white dude pops up on Facebook, like, actually, the Irish were slaves too.
1: Like, (laughs) literally, it's like, thank you for your white dude opinion. Great. (laughs) Goodbye. (laughs) And like,
0: I don't know if we covered this earlier, but basically, Ellerin's grandmother
1: was like. Sort of Hitler. Magical Hitler. (laughs) She was like slash Hitler. Her grandfather was Christopher Columbus. Her grandmother was Hitler. Her aunt is like one half of Donald Trump. And then she's (laughs) on her way to trying to find the the righteous path.
2: She's like she's like the Ivanka Trump in the middle of all of it. That's like Should I fight for women's wages or just just
1: not say anything? Like (laughs) Oh my god, she is. Yeah. Early Ellerin is definitely a Monka trap. <laughs> oh god. And like
2: like I can see like the author's motivations of kind of like wanting to not make it such an explicit like allegory to like American race relations or European race relations or just like white, black or white insert minority here race relations in general. But like in doing that, it sends that, like, really weird message of, like, well, you know, like, these other people did it first, so it was, like, okay that we did it. It's, like, no, like, (laughs) it's not okay for anyone
1: to do it. Like, it's not
0: justified.
1: (laughs) I just think that, like, she has a lot of world building, and every time she adds another character, she has to build a world for them. And Mm -hmm. so I think, like, I I don't want to bash her in that sense, but I'm just, like yeah, you, you slipped through the cracks with some of the stuff or you like you went off. But, like, it's so much world building that we have to get, like, set for. But, like, 600 pages for this? I don't... Mm, no. 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 No.
0: Even at, like, the 600th, like, at the very end, oh, um, oh. I just... Even there, she talks about how she thinks that violence... You know, is like a part of nature, and everyone has to be dom has to dominate or be dominated or something. And the professor even is like, "Yeah, that's true." Like, no, <laughs> no, 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 no. Wait.
1: It's like, no. <laughs> this is a, who's this is canceled? Is, that? is that Voltaire? Is that Voltaire? Is it is it Voltaire? I think it is. It's a. Or is it, like, social Darwinism? Who the freak is it? It's one of these goddamn philosophers I learned, like, so... Social
0: Darwinism, I think. Okay,
1: but I definitely believe Voltaire was like this, too. Like, there are people that are beneath you, and, like, they're just gonna die. (laughs) Like, that... Oh my god, this girl.
0: (laughs) It was literally, like, even the professor was like, yeah, that's true. And then he, like, pauses, and he's like, but maybe, like, in the future
1: it won't have to be true. Like, no, maybe it could just not be true. (laughs) The characters, they just do stuff that is so abnormal to, like, who they are just to progress the story. hmm And it's like, Diana and Rafe are written to freaking perfection. I literally, like, saw the entire progression. I saw her thinking that all Garnerians were crap to being like, you know, y'all are still crap, but, like, once I change my boyfriend, he won't be crap anymore and I'm like you know what I'm cool with that because like you stuck to your guns everyone else is literally like oh I feel like this two seconds later somebody says one thing to them and they're like I have suddenly changed my ways and I've seen the righteous path (laughs) I'm like, what? (laughs) Yeah, and, like, that one really,
2: like, weirdly tense scene between Ellerin and Diana, where I feel like it's supposed to illustrate that, like, Diana's still bound by, like, authority figures, too, but she's saying, well, my family wants to meet you before you come and spend a summer with us, and basically saying, like, no, you can't, and Ellerin's like... I can't handle rejection, this is the worst thing that's ever happened to me. Diana, how could you, you bitch? Like, it's just unnecessarily cruel to her. And I'm just like, I thought like I was like, wait, where did, where did that come
0: from? You guys were getting along, like, ten pages ago. I just... <laughs> I feel like it flip-flops a lot, but one of the constants is that uh, every single time Eloran starts to change her mind about everyone else being evil... She, like, rationalizes it (laughs) away. Yeah, she's
2: like, maybe the Celts aren't so bad after all. And then, like, the little, like, racist voice inside of her head's like, no, the Celts killed your parents. And she's like, oh, wait, you're right.
1: (laughs) But wait, can we talk about how she rationalized everything through how attractive people are? Literally, she went from, like, hating Evan to being like, oh, he's a Celt, he's a dirty Celt. All of a sudden, he gives, like, one smile and she's like, Oh my god, I'm wet. It's like what? <laughs> <laughs> wait, what? And then every freaking time she sees this kid, he's like giving her the meanest death glare of death glares, and then she's still like, oh, but he's still so hot. Like, wait, his n- eyes are so like, green. oh my god, like I can learn to love him even though he's even though he's a cow It's like, where is that little voice coming from, Ellerin? Like, what? What? <laughs>
0: And like I think one of the best examples of the little voice in Bellerin's <laughs> head is uh is the scene where um basically there's some kitchen workers that she has to work with to pay her her tuition, and they're like generally minorities. I think they're all like Orsk yeah. minorities at that point. And there's like a little girl who's living there illegally. Hi. And there's like they're studying books that they're not supposed to study or something. And so she goes in, and they're really mean to her because they think that she's going to turn them in, which is, like, a legitimate concern. I mean, especially when she <laughs> okay. gets Lucas to threaten them later on, but... I didn't think... Which is what I'm bringing no, up. No, I didn't yeah. think
1: it was that, like, I didn't take it as though they were worried that she would turn them in. I thought of it more or less as, like, she, for some reason, she's now with the lowly class people, so that means that somebody in the upper area regions of power has decided that she is not worthy enough, and so now we're going to take advantage cuz what you like if if i if i was like the queen of genovia or something like you're not going to have me working <laughs> in the soup kitchen it's just not going to happen and if i am in the soup kitchen people are going to be like what the hell do they do like why are they down here you know mm-hmm. and like i just kind of took it as more like now is their opportunity to bully her like i'm not going to i'm not going to kick your ass if you literally have like blackmail on me like that would just be dumb i don't even think that they thought through like oh my god, she has blackmail on us. Like, they say it, but it's like, no, we're gonna take advantage of her right now.
0: And they do end up bullying her. They, like, throw her into mud and, like, call her names or whatever. But then she gets, like, really offended by it because she doesn't understand.
1: They, that's not, like, a little small... They slapped that's her accurate. across the face. They, they do slap her, her across the face. They kicked her in the butt cheek into some pig poop and then smacked <laughs> her across the face. And all she did was whined to the same person who she talks about negatively. I'm like, sis, what? <laughs>
0: <laughs> what? <laughs> and then, so, like, the scene that I think is really important to, like, touch on for her inner, like, racist monologue <laughs> is that um, she, she whines to this guy named Lucas who she doesn't even like, and then he comes in and basically just terrorizes them and threatens them horrifically. Like, really, it's horrifying okay,
1: if you actually like, read it. I actually like Lucas in that scene. I'm sorry. <laughs> maybe oh, maybe it's because I like I, liked I personally don't care what the character is doing as long as they're developed well. Mm-hmm. Like, if I can believe it, I'm with it. And the fact that literally she whined to Lucas and he popped up and laid down the Fist of Fury, I was like, yes! Like, there's a character out here who's like, this is how it goes, and like, this is what's gonna be. I was like, yeah, it's kind of harsh, but like, she should get she should get a slap of reality like no your white privilege is gonna get somebody killed like mm-hmm. that's what's gonna happen
0: it's true but like the thing is that it's not even a slap of her, like she watches it happen she watches him threaten to send them to a literal work camp <laughs> and like with their child she and like she watches it happen and she just thinks to herself oh this is a little harsh and then five seconds later she's like yeah but they slap me
1: <laughs> yeah. But she is basic Becky! She is basic Becky <laughs> in every sense of the word. Like, I cannot tell you how many of these people I've actually met in real life where it's like, oh, don't say, like, white people are racist. Black people are racist, too. I grew up mm-hmm. more around black people, <laughs> and they call me a white person. Like, really? <laughs> like, that's the highlight of your struggle while everybody else is getting arrested and their parents are getting fined for, like, somebody doing crack? But when your parent does it, it's a disease? Like... No! Like, you. She is a basic Becky, and I was so glad that she was written as her basic Becky role. Don't give her no more credit, because she doesn't deserve it.
0: Except for that she does get the credit, because. Leader of the Resistance. Fantasy (laughs) races forgive
1: her. They forgive her so fast. I I was happy that Evan didn't forgive her, though. I was just. I was very happy with him. Mm. Nope, he does not. Until she he doesn't really forget at her all. either at the end of the book. Listen, Evan doesn't, Evan, Evan, Evan was out here. He was out here for the whole long haul. And I'm so proud of him, y'all. I'm so proud. Like, I was really like, yo, by the middle of this book, Evan gonna give in and be like, she's great, guys. Let's all love and kumbaya. And, like, I don't, like, I don't know if you guys can, like, speak on this, but for me, reading the scene where she goes into the kitchen and she sees Evan, like, laughing and, like, smiling with all, like, the URIS workers and stuff and then like the one trying to like hook up with him and everything this is like typical stuff that black women talk about like it's very very like oh all of our black men aren't there or like black women want black love or like you know those kind of relationships and to even see throughout the entirety of the book Evan still is defending Ellerin and he's like yo don't pick on her like don't say this thing to her and at the end he's still conflicted like Am I going to turn my back on, like, the people who I've always known, even though they're doing some really horrible things? Or am I going to, like, try to support this girl? And it's like, he goes with it. And even by the end of the book, he's just like, I'm not going to fully commit to this. Because I'm not, I haven't decided yet. And I'm like, yes! Yes, Evan! Thank you! Oh Mm -hmm. my god, thank you! Because you're a real freaking character who is dealing with some complex shit.
2: So, Evan never really kind of moves past that forgiveness point. Um, But, like, we touched on a lot of other races in the book are just like, oh, it's okay. Everything's fine now.
0: (laughs) Which is, like, really, I just feel like that's really problematic. Like, oh, it's fine. Like, you threatened to send me to a work camp and you sicked your, like, military boyfriend on me to, like, threaten my
1: whole family. But that's fine. Rationalize. Everything's fine now. Rationalize. (laughs) Rationalize. Don't even explain it. Just be like, rationalize. Continuing. <laughs> <laughs> Bad thing happens. Pretty rationalized. Rationalize. Much. Continue.
0: <laughs> yep. And I think the reviewer, the 9K reviewer that we're talking about, touched on this when she said, and I quote, forgiveness by POC-coded fantasy races is spread throughout this entire book, but I really don't buy it. And Lauren doesn't change enough to deserve their forgiveness. Thoughts? She doesn't yeah <laughs> exactly <laughs> the, like I, I, I really feel like it. that's just that explained it but it is problematic because i feel like people in real life like expect poc to just forgive them for anything like everything that they do like oh it's fine
1: just forget about it it's over now <laughs> yeah no 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 that's 100 percent accurate i think i think more or less with the the issue with this and, like, the whole forgiveness thing was just more or less that, like, because we're seeing it from Ellerin's perspective and we are assuming that she is a white character for everything, the way that she's written and described, for the most part, she is a white character. But, like, with forgiveness, it's almost like, I'm white, but I'm not one of the racists. It's like, no, you don't have to be in a hood with a pitchfork and burning down churches in order to be racist. Like, every day you have to combat, like, certain racist subconscious thoughts. You know, like, and it's weird too because even in certain ways, black people have to think about that for themselves. Like, there are things that I've watched, things that I've read that in my subconscious, I can say horrible negative things about black people, but like, I have to break that down. White people aren't devoid of that and it's probably 10 times worse seeing as the fact that they hold a position of power and privilege. And so forgiveness for her, its the book is not it's not about marginalized people. It's not about people of color. It's about Ellerin, And at the core, what Ellerin wants, Ellerin will get. And so, to her, it's like, anybody who doesn't automatically disagree with me or take me in or accept me, they're bad. Like, that entire dream scene where she's like, oh, I would release the Selkie and Fern because the Selkie is helpless and Fern is a child. I was like, this is literally, like, how you talk about, like, slaves or people of color children. Like, oh, yeah, no, 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 no. I like people of color till they're about age seven, and then they become adults. It's like, what? (laughs) Like, that's literally how she talks about it. Or, like, she puts Fern in this category of cuteness and safeness and innocence, but if Fern was a little bit older, I'm pretty sure she would have been like, nope, she's one of them, too. (laughs) And it's like, everybody's so forgiving because that's exactly what Ellerin wants. Like, if I read the... Like, I'm supposed to believe my narrator. Reading her she she's constantly looking for that like forgive me forgive me forgive me and so and any kind of glimmer that it shows up she takes it automatically takes it
0: and it's like even even when she goes to school originally and people start bullying her because of the way she looks and because of her racist history like she tries at the beginning she's like oh i'll i'll give them one chance (laughs) and then they like like someone is mean to her and she's like that's it I'm done. <laughs> maybe, she's a, maybe she's an introvert. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's true. I mean, you know, introvert or extrovert, I wouldn't really want to be pushed into some, like, pig shit. You know, so. <laughs> but you know what I wouldn't do? I would be angry at the person who shoved me
1: in the pig shit, not the entice- entire race. <laughs> <laughs> Again? Again. Problem happens. <laughs> Rationalize. Continue. <laughs>
0: Or like literally at one point she tries to help like her brother tries to help um one of the Icarol people who are demonized. Oh, he tries winter. to like help them up off the floor. Oh, yeah, and uh and like one someone else yells at him because he, he wants the the girl to be left alone because people hate her and they, they try to hurt her and stuff. And so her brother, who is an elf, is like, No, leave her alone, like don't help her. And so, uh, uh, brain is just like, oh, well, I guess I can't help anyone, like, let's not talk to anyone outside of our race now.
1: (laughs) No, oh my god, when she said that, she was like, I got up, like, she was gonna go help Winter or something, and then all of a sudden, Rafe pops up, does it, and as soon as, like, the elf shows up, she's like, you see? They're not appreciative of my white powers and (laughs) (laughs) purpose. Don't don't give them a help. No, honestly, did you ever see the movie The Color Purple? No. Oh my god. In that movie, literally the mayor the mayor's wife, she owns Oprah Winfrey's character and so she's like goes to Oprah Winfrey's character and she's like, Oh, I'm gonna take you to see your kids and your family for Thanksgiving, so you don't have to spend it with us, you can spend it with your family, since you just got out of jail and you haven't seen them in years. And she like Oprah's character is so grateful. They get to the house, the the white mayor's wife cannot start her car, so Oprah like her uncles and her nephews, black men all go out to help her start the car. And she's like, oh my God, they're attacking me. Help me. And she's like, they're not, they're, she's like, they're trying to just help you. She goes, that's it, we're leaving. And she's like, but I just got here. she goes, I'm Miss Millie. I'm the mayor's wife. And it's like, yo, you literally did not help the situation. Like you really thought that because you brought me here, you got a little bit frazzled and now it's like time to go. I was like, that was Elrin. And all I could literally hear during that entire scene was, I'm Miss Millie. I'm the mayor's wife. <laughs> <laughs> um. So
2: I-, I feel like the very easy forgiveness of the other characters for Ellerin is kind of an extension of that, like, problematic idea of, like, well, everyone's prejudiced thing that we talked about <laughs> earlier, where a lot – So, so operating off the fact that, like, authority kind of motivates a lot of the decision-making of the characters in the book – A lot of them have their own ideas about how they, you know, kind of perceive the world. Like, you know, throughout the book, Elrond's like, this doesn't feel quite right. Like, all the characters are kind of aware that, like, this isn't the right thing to do most of the time. But then there's that, like, authority thing that comes in that's like, well, they said that I can't do that. So I'm going to listen to them because I can't think for myself. So... (laughs) I feel mm-hmm. like that's kind of, like, a weird extension of that where the other characters who aren't gardenarians are kind of, like, painted also in the same light where it's, like, they don't really know much about the way the world works either. They're just listening to their authority figures. Like, authority's the only thing that's holding them back. I'll just forgive you, you know? Which, like, I just, I don't know. I feel like it's kind of problematic to just make everyone an equal level of prejudice, I feel. Like, if that makes sense. <laughs> like, I can see, I don't know, I can see why the author did it to say, like, well, you know, you can't, you know, point fingers or, like, blame anyone in this story. Like, you can't, you know, because everyone's done, like, a a bad thing. But, like, again, like we said before, it's like, okay, but that doesn't make it, like, okay for Eleanor to, like, feel okay about, like, what her people have done, you know?
1: I don't think I would take this book as something that's gonna, like, change the world. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's, I, like, for me, the meat of it in the middle is a really good read. I'll give you that. Like, she picks up pace around, like, part two. But, mm-hmm. like, I don't believe the whole, like, everyone's a little bit racist. No, everyone's a little bit prejudiced. Not racist. Racism is a whole another system and institution. But, mm-hmm. like, she allows every single character to have their own flawed perception of somebody else and i think that like that's a, I think it's a good thing and i think it's needed i don't know if she did this on purpose or not but i will say this i don't hold Elleryn in high regard because of the stupid racist bigoted things she says like her credibility gets knocked down all the time dot the entire series for whatever for whatever reason whether it's gender race sex anything her credibility gets knocked and so i also need to see those other characters have those same flaws and issues because she's not supposed to be the pitchfork white hood wearing kind of person, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, she's supposed to be an average Joe who's like, well, for the most part we all have some horrible thoughts about each other. Okay, I'll go with it. <laughs> but she just has the power to back it up. Like, if she decides to make a decision, people will die. Everybody else gets prejudice. Nothing's gonna happen to them. Like, well, nothing's gonna happen to her or her family. hmm And that
2: prejudice doesn't only come in the form of racial prejudice or prejudice against different genders. There's also a fun bit of homophobia in the book as well. Which is, like, weirdly brief. Yeah! It's, uh, it's very brief. It's kind of abrupt. It's about Eloran's brother Tristan, um, who's rooming with Evan. And Eloran notices the way that Tristan's looking at Evan, and she's like, wait a second are you gay? <laughs> it's just like, yeah, I'm gay. Like, that's my life. And Ellard <laughs> freaks out. She's like, oh my god, like, you have to hide this. Like, you can't be this way. Um,
1: she didn't even, like, yeah, she didn't, she didn't cry. She didn't react. Literally, he was just like, yeah, so I think my roommate's hot. You can't do that! Mm-mm. nope, nope. <laughs> not in the church not around here not in the house not in the shoe not in the one two blue foot blue what Ellery, like like literally there's she not had... a single it's like she was always prepared no. for this she was like since she was like one she was like I'm gonna wake up one day and my, my brother my thing <laughs> gay what do I say in that situation oh now's the moment You can't do that. (laughs) She
2: pulls, like, some index cards out of her pocket. She's like, wait, wait, I have my response prepared. Hold on. I was (laughs) ready for
0: this. I was ready for this. (laughs) Like, what? There's not a single moment where she's like, I love you. You're my brother. But, like, this is dangerous. She's just like, no, this is awful. How dare you? It kind of
1: came off, like, she was kind of upset that he also liked Evan. Because, like, literally the the next page, she was like, and Evan's hot. And it's like... (laughs) If if my brother likes him, he might get him before I get him. Like, what, Ellerin? Like, what? (laughs) (laughs) Like, that's literally how it read. She was just like, you can't have him because I want him. (laughs) It's like, your little brother just confessed. And I didn't even know that being gay was, like, a horrible thing in your universe until that moment happened. And you just kind of brushed over it.
2: Surprise! Wouldn't that have been hilarious, though, if, like, the Gardenerians were, like, awful about everything else, but they were, like, super open about, like, gay marriage?
1: <laughs> They're like, you know, we don't care who you want fast to. As long as you want fast. As long as it's a Gardnerian. Like, that's it. <laughs> yep, that's it. Yeah, you can,
2: it's, it's kind of easy to tell that her motivation and the motivations of a lot of other characters are out of, like, fear of consequences, but it doesn't always come off like that in their dialogue to other characters. Um, Like, there's not really an awareness of the characters of how authority affects their life. And I think that's, like... I can't tell if that's kind of, like, the point of the book, in a sense. Um, Like, there's this one scene that Elleryn has a dream in which, you know, she's with Evan and... It's, like, romantic and stuff, and, like, before anything can happen, and this is a quote from the book. Her wet um, dream. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And also to note, like, the book is also what they refer to as, like, basically their Bible, in a sense. So, in this dream, the pages of the book swirl and lift, then cyclone around us, taking on a fierce life of their own. I cry out as the pages push between us and force us apart, their sharp edges scraping mercilessly at my skin. And then I can't see him. I can only see a wall of white as thousands of pages roar around me, the sound deafening. Evan I scream, but it's no use. He can't hear me over the roar of the book. And like kinda obvious like Gatsby like green light symbolism there, but at the same
1: gatsby.
2: Don't get me started. <laughs> um <laughs> But, like, the book in this scene is acting as, like, a literal wall between her and Evan. Just kind of, like, underscoring that whole idea of, like, authority is literally stopping these characters from, like, doing anything, basically. Um, But I feel like because it's in a dream, it's kind of telling us that, like, the characters aren't explicitly aware of that, I guess. Because, like, dreams are more of, like, a subconscious kind of thing, and you never really get any commentary from Ellerin as to like how she feels about that dream it's just like this is the dream and then we move on to like a different scene
1: well no cause like right after that scene came one of my favorites when Ariel was like fine I won't tell El- Evan that you dream about me." oh right 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 <laughs> <laughs> that was that was your goal. like it was savage. a solid freaking gem. I was like, yeah, I literally wrote that in my book. Ariel is a savage. <laughs> but like the fact that Ariel pinpoints that this is not the first time that Elleran has done this. This is the first time that Eller remembers doing this. Mm-hmm. Like she's been she's been calling out Evan's name damn near every night so far. Like Ariel's like, oh my god, I haven't been able to sleep. Because her, it's like she has she's fully submerged in this like, this guy kind of thing, but I totally think it's like, it is that subconscious. It's just, it's it's very weirdly placed in the book because she does the same thing with the selfie, she does the same thing with this Evan thing, and it's like stop pulling mm-hmm. up these dreams and just get to the get to the point, because literally that entire part all I could think about was like those paper cuts must hurt, like it <laughs> it just didn't do anything for the story. I don't know.
0: It's not, like, one of my favorite scenes or anything, but I I didn't mind it just because it was a lot of, it pinpointed a lot of the religious and authority issues that are prevalent throughout the entire book, but a lot of the time they don't get brought up because Eloran isn't sitting there like, hmm, let's talk about priests and, like, the religious authority that's running my life. So, like, like it was, like, I didn't mind it because it just, like, brought it to a head without her having to say anything. Um, it wasn't, like, super necessary. See,
1: yeah, like, I had gotten the religious part from when she didn't, when she said that her favorite professor who was a priest, when she was, like, his opinion is biased. At that point, it came to its head. Like, she now knows, like, he is coming from a very religious, Gardnerian-centric point. Like, I thought that, I I thought that spoke a lot more volumes than her dream. Other than the fact that, like, oh, she's dreaming about Evan. (laughs) That's accurate. Although, like, it is
0: interesting... That the book itself like rips up and comes in between and like literally pushes them, and I think that it's it comes into a lot of scenarios in the book, like the entire storyline about the Icarals, which aren't even actually called Icarals; um, they're called the Deer. Yeah, wait, can I talk about this for (laughs) a second? Because this was like, yeah, oh my gosh,
2: so as the reader there is a lot of things that were kind of sheltered about throughout the book and you know like obviously we know like okay her grandmother did some like pretty terrible stuff we don't know like what specifically but like Elleryn doesn't really seem to keep that in mind as she's getting like death glares from people but we're like oh that kind (laughs) of makes sense you know but this just kind of came out of nowhere where it was like Well, maybe not came out of nowhere, but it was just, like, surprising for me, where it's like, oh, and by the way, like, fucking the the Icarols aren't even called Icarols, and that's kind of a slur for them. They're deardles, and they're actually part wyvern, or part dragon, and I was just like, wait, damn, like, now you've got me messed up, too. Like, I'm sitting here (laughs) thinking, like, the Icarols are just, like, literally demons, and the author's like, haha, joke's on you. You fell for it as well, like.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and it is really interesting, like, that it's kind of skimmed over. Like, I honestly forgot that they were called dyrtels until Kelly wrote it in our notes. <laughs> <laughs> you, don't, you don't find out until like maybe
2: 60, 70% into the book. I think Winter mentions it offhand. She's like, well, we're, we're dyrtels, but like no one else really corrects her. Like you continue to use like the word Icarol for like the rest of the book. So for going, going further with the whole wyvern thing, um, The blogger who wrote the 9,000-word review also thought this was kind of jarring, too, but not in the fact that, you know, their name is kind of like a slur, but more of the fact that they just exist in general. She was like, I don't know where this came from, like, this seems really, like, just weird and random to me, like, I don't get that. And like, for me, I kinda saw it as more just an extension of the theme that, like, nothing is pure. You know, nothing is like a pure race in this world. Um, and it makes sense if you know how like genetics work. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I just kind of saw that as like, oh, that just means that that family, like that elven family or whomever else, had like some sort of wyvern blood like back in their ancestry. And that just kind of like popped up in this generation, you know?
0: Which is kind of how it's explained. Like, um, the reason that we know this is because a professor brings it up to Ellerin and basically says that, like, no race is pure. Like, your race, in fact, is, like, a breeding of two different lines of whatever in the far past, and that's why you look this way, and blah, 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 and, like, there's no purity in any race, and every race has a little bit of wyvern blood somewhere way back thousands of years, and that's why, um deer dolls exist in the first place is because it, like, it comes out in some generations, and so, like, it was explained. Um, but I guess, like, it can get confusing if you don't know much about, about genetics, or if you, like, aren't immersed in the story. Yeah.
1: <laughs> the, I think the confusing thing with the whole like, girls and even, like, the fae, it was enough that, like, yeah, I get all the blending and the genetics and what have you, and, like, yeah, the world is extremely diverse. But the fact that there were Water Fae and Fire Fae and Tree Fae and Bark Trey and Fae and all the other Bark Trey fay, I was like, oh my god, I cannot, like, you have so many things to give your reader, and you're giving it to us all at once. I was like, I just, I don't need this kind of stress in my life, and I don't know what's <laughs> going on anymore. So literally, the fact that, like, the deer gold, doll gray, whatever the heck they girls are really called, I don't even read that part in the book. Literally, my brain said Icarol, and that's it. That's all I know. <laughs> yup. Eleron doesn't, like,
0: learn that Icarol is a slur, and then think to herself, ah, okay, this is not their real name. She just keeps calling them that, so it is really easy to forget <laughs> or, like, not notice that their
1: real name is Dirgdol, like, exactly what I did where I didn't <laughs> notice. I swear, half the times I heard Evil One, Ancient One first children, and I was like, okay, you good to say Garnarians. I don't care anymore. <laughs>
2: yeah and that like that dichotomy between like labeling good and evil characters is like just super prevalent and kind of like obvious throughout the book um you know but that like kind of underscores like one of the more main themes again where it's like you know there is bad and good and good in bad you know in the sense that like Elleryn is, like, a person, like, she does bad things, and she does good things, sometimes, but, I feel, (laughs) sometimes, sometimes, but, like, and that even goes back to, like, that religious authority too, where she's saying, like, you know, it's a religious, uh, like, the religious myth of the white wand is told to every Gardnerian child, you know, and, like, quoting from the book, it's like, it's good versus evil, like, literally just isn't, like, good versus evil, The white wand (laughs) pitted against the dark wand. The white wand. Subtlety. (laughs) (laughs) The green light represents Daisy. Oh my
1: god. What?
2: (laughs) (laughs) The white wand, a pure force for good, coming to aid of the oppressed and used in ancient primordial battles against demonic forces, against the power of
1: the dark wand. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I just realized that. Oh. If her grandmother, if her grandmother is the black witch and her grandmother wasn't in possession of the white wand and the black stuff is all evil, how didn't she know her grandma was evil? Hmm. What in the fuck? Cuz now she's getting now she's getting the white wand. And so it's supposed to beat the Icarols, the evil dark whatever's. But the grandma is the black witch, not the white witch, the black witch with the black wand. She gotta have the black one, because she wasn't in possession of the white one to begin with, right? Because Fallon doesn't have it. Her family doesn't have it. Somehow, Sage has it. Because how did Sage get it? I think the Watchers gave it to Sage, the, like, white birds. Oh, but I don't know where they got it. <laughs> She's blurring way too many lines. She's blurring way too many lines. Black. It is really yeah, Black weird. doesn't always mean bad, and white doesn't always mean good.
0: It is really weird how it's coded, because, like, in the religious text, it's coded that white is good and dark, or I'm assuming black is bad, but then, like, they're- they only wear black, like, that's the whole point, that's, like, why the title is Mm -hmm. there. Like, what? So,
2: going back to the struggle between good and evil, Elorin's kind of only concerned about her own goodness throughout the book, and not so much- how her actions are affecting others or basically just how she affects the world around her like she just wants to be perceived as good basically and whether or not that comes out as like genuinely good acts or kind of more like white savior acts is up for debate um but one of these instances (laughs) And where we kind of see some of her character growth in the book is in how she treats the Selkie when she first encounters the Selkie. And at the end of the book, or towards the end of the book, where she frees the Selkie from the abusive groundskeeper. So like the first time she sees a Selkie, that's like the first thing that's like jarring for her outside of her very contained bubble of garden area and the Selkie's in a cage and she's just screaming at Elrin basically and just has this like terrified look on her face and Elrin's like what the fuck is going on like <laughs> why what is this thing like why is it in a cage like She's confused as to whether or not it's, like, a person or not, and her aunt's like, oh, no, no, dear, like, don't worry about that. The Selkies are, like, basically, like, the Selkies deserve it. And like, later on, you find out that her aunt's like, yeah, I think all the Selkies should be shot, and you're like, wait, whoa, hold on. <laughs> so, Evlora just kind of falls back on the authority of her aunt's, like, assessment of the situation is like, yeah, I'm not gonna think about this Selkie, because she's not, like, concerned about anything else that's happening. But then later on at university, she discovers that the groundskeeper has, I think it's the same Selkie? Is it the same I think same so. One? I think so. Yeah.
0: I think it might
2: be I the same one. Yeah, I think so too. And it's the same the same Selkie. And Elleryn kind of comes in on this, like, abuse scene where she sees the groundskeeper, like, chaining the Selkie to, like, a post outside and... Like, just being, like, generally very abusive, and she's like, I should do something about this, because suddenly she sees them as, like, people, and not just other elements of the world around her. Um, So, what are your guys' thoughts on this? Like, do you think this is, like, kind of, like, believable character development? Do you think it's, like, good for her character in general? Is it, like, a good thing? Is it more of a white savior complex? Like, what do we think?
0: It's definitely your and also, like, saves the day. <laughs> yep, and also it's, like, on the one hand, I wanted it to happen, because obviously, like, the scene was being described to me as a reader, and I was like, that's horrible, please mm-hmm. stop, so, like, I wanted it to happen, but it's just, like, it was weirdly out of character for Elrin, and it was, like, Strange the way it was done and the way the character was treated because she didn't really get a three dimensional character out of the Selkie. It was just like a traumatized Selkie sitting in a bathtub. Mm -hmm.
1: Honestly, I actually liked the development of the Selkie story. For me, the issue that I had was I didn't know why she was so stuck on the Selkie when there were so many other characters with like issues and violence towards them. Mm -hmm. But what I did like is that when she, when her aunt first said it to her, Carl was like, oh, they're seals and they come on shore. And like, her seeing the Selkie in a cage, it made it sound to the reader and to her like, they're pets. And then in the same breath, when the lupines are like, oh, I heard that you guys have sex with seals. And then Rafe jumps in and he's like, yeah, that's what Selkies are for. And she's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. People are practicing bestiality? And he's like, yeah, they are. (laughs) And she's like, oh my god, like, what in the hell but then it also kind of like registered into my like brain like the same way like people say like white people love their dogs white people will jump to the defense of a dog before they do like a person of color and i'm like oh my god like what is going on with this book my brain and i was just like no it's the one thing like the reason that the selkie is so important to is because the selkie can't talk she has no defense of herself at all like she Mm. is like she's like our pets like, I literally looked at the Selkie as, like, my cat, and I was like, oh my god, like, I would literally rip somebody apart if, I'm the- if they did something to my damn cat. Like, I don't give a shit. Like, I don't care who you are in the world, you did something to my harmless cat, and I'm gonna hurt you. <laughs> like, that, to me, I read it so well, because I was like, this Selkie has all these, like, personal, like, real humanized characteristics and traits, but for the most part, she is completely defenseless. She can't talk. She can't say I'm hurt, I'm in pain. The only person that can communicate with her is Winter, and she can't even understand her. And it's like, Ellerin, like, she's so moved to just, like, jump in and go. I completely believe that character break. That was the only character break that I believed, even with the whole thing with Evan. Like, that went naturally. And that was, like, the one part of the book that I was like, yes, thank you Elleryn. Oh my god, thank you.
2: Yeah, because, like, the, the Selkie just kind of represents I guess this, like, it, I guess maybe, like, one of the few representations of, like, pure innocence, I guess, in the universe. Um, and, like, you know, since you said she can't communicate, she also can't say anything to Ellerin to make Ellerin feel guilty about her identity or, like, her family or anything. So... <laughs> You know, for Elleran, it's just like, well, like, you poor little defenseless thing, I'm gonna help you. But, like, whatever anyone else is just kind of like, hey, like, I need help too, but by the way, your grandmother was kind of a shit. She's like, all right, hold up a second. (laughs)
1: Like, (laughs) well, do you think it's like that, the same with, like, the whole Fern and Selkie thing? Because Mm -hmm. Selkie can't talk to her, she looks at her as, like, this defenseless thing that needs my help. And then Fern is an innocent child who also has no concept of race and prejudice. And so it's like, the two people that Elrond's like, they're not going to come after me. She's like, I got to save them. I have to protect them with everything I got. It's like, oh, I love it and I hate it. Yeah. <laughs> I think
0: that's completely accurate. And I think, like, everything you guys have said has been true. But also the the imagery of the Selkie as a pet really bothered me, too. Because I feel like Elrond was supposed to realize that she's, like, a person. And that she just, like can't get to her skin which is like how selkies get back to the ocean and like she was supposed to think of it as like a humanity kind of thing and be like oh like you're a person too you just can't communicate with me in the same way that like i would communicate with you but like we're still people like yeah humanity but like i don't i don't feel like that happened although the scenes with winter where like she can't communicate but it's like really traumatizing and a really intense scene are like still good. It's just Lauren's view of it was kind of weird. Also, the scene with Diana where she wants to kill the, the guy that abused the <laughs> oh, Selkie oh, yes. is 100% quality. She just stands like up and yes. it's like, I'm going to kill him. Kill and they're him. like, wait, what? She's like, no, I'll be back. Like- <laughs> She's like, don't try to
1: stop me because I'll whip your ass. Alright. I was like, yes. <laughs> yes. As
0: wonderful as the lupines are, um, there are, like, other than the sort of specific scenes that we've been talking about talking about like the plot of the book there are like major overarching complaints that people had about the book that we should probably talk about so obviously there's a lot of racial homophobia like there's some ableism in there too with like there's some self-harm scenes and there's like someone who's like wings are shredded and everything um and obviously like all of the racial parts and everything but the bigger question that people are asking about this book is: one, is it an issue the point of view that this is written for? Like, like Elrin is basically a white girl. Is it a problem that it's told from her perspective and that she takes like five hundred pages to realize that she's racist?
1: Well, I I personally say no. <laughs> like, <laughs> I I can only speak for myself, but I'm like. How many books are written about white people by white people? Like, that's a lot. Like, this doesn't change. This book is not changing the literary game. It's not doing anything extra. But, like, with Ellerin's character, I don't care. She can have all 500, 600 pages to find out that she's a racist bigot. Because there are people walking around at the age of, like, 46, 62, still not knowing that they're racist bigots. Like, Mm -hmm. it is what it is. Accurate.
0: And like it did bother me like, while I was reading. I just wanted to slap Ellerin in the face half the time. Alright, like eighty percent of the time. So like happy
1: when the year was actually slapped Ellerin, just to make that note.
0: Yeah, That was me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think we all were.
0: Um, but like I think the most annoying thing for a lot of people was that like she took so long to figure out the issues in her ancestry and in the current like, climate of her world, and then she's, like, randomly just, like, welcomed into the resistance, like, congratulations, you're in, you passed the test.
1: (laughs) It's like, you talked to the other people outside your race, you are the leader of the resistance. Thanks, white lady. What? She definitely ran out of time to write this book, or her publisher was like, her publisher was like, look, sis, we ain't got the money to print 601 pages, you're gonna have to knock it down to 600. (laughs) She's like, all right. She's literally just <laughs> bye. I'm like, I'm
2: like curious to see how this is going to look if there's more books
1: in the series. Um, there this are. Is more books in the series. This is Hunger Games. This is Hunger Games 5.0 fantasy fiction. Like <laughs> literally, her 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 grandmother's name was Carnissa, and I was like, way too close to Katniss. Way yeah. too close. <laughs> then then her name is Gardner Everdeen, come on, you all getting real close with the green shrubberies, I'm like mm, I'm not seeing it, sis <laughs> and shrubbery. then all of a sudden at the end, she's a leader of the resistance really? what did she do? what did she do that's so spectacular? nothing, absolutely nothing they're all still sitting in Gardneria with no dragon, their dragon is currently handicapped, so what did she do? like, she goes in, it's the
0: very end of the book the last couple of pages, she goes in to talk to her professor and she's like Hmm, my friends are in danger, can you help me? And her professor is like, Welcome to the Resistance, you're here!
1: (laughs) Wait, wait. me. let me just read it, let me just read it. Well, that's a relief. Professor Christian comments, especially since the Gardnerians are investigating every level 5 Madge's whereabouts last night. It's good to know Madge Gardner and her brothers are well accounted for. I sit there speechless, blinking at them. A smile lifts the corner of Vice Chancellor Quillen's mouth as she eyes me with open approval. Welcome to the resistance, Mad Garner. That's it. That's the end. What? You
2: did it. You cured racism. Yay! (laughs) Congratulations. (laughs) Like, what? Going back to what we were talking about earlier with, like, the whole forgiveness thing by other, like, minority characters in the book, or just, like, it's weird to call them, like, minorities, because they're not, like, because there's so many, like, There's so many of them and they're not marginal. Yeah, it's like, yeah, it's like weird to think of it in terms of, like, American race relations, but, like, I just think it's an issue that that praise for Ellering comes so easily, despite her not putting much effort into it, you know? Like, there's, even if she was, like, leader of the resistance, like, Katniss Everdeen... Even then, like, that doesn't mean that, like, any, like, that she's owed forgiveness, you know? Like, that doesn't mean that she should necessarily, like, receive forgiveness, too, because, like, I just feel like there can be an understanding that there's been, like, pain caused by, like, some group, you know, whichever that is, And that just being acknowledged. Like, sometimes that just has to be acknowledged. Like, there's not really much you can do to, like, move past that beyond just saying, like, I recognize that that's there, you know? What do you guys
0: think? I mean, I think you were saying that it's hard to compare the characters in the book to, like, American race relations because that's kind of the way that we're trying to code it in our Mm -hmm. brains. And I think... I think that some of the reviewers kind of forgot about that when they were reviewing the book. Like, they didn't sit there. They weren't like, I'm going to review this fantasy book. They were like, I'm going to review this book that someone said was really racist, and I'm going to talk about it in American racism terms. Like, they didn't think about the world that Ellerin was in. They thought about America and how it would work if she was a white girl in current America. And it's, like, obviously I have a lot of issues with the book that I've talked about in this podcast already, but I do think it was, like, weird to see all of the reviewers being, like, well, talking about Elrin as a 2017 white girl talking about black people instead of talking about all of the, like, POC-coded races in this fantasy book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it's a little different, especially with the the, like, world-building that was done in the book about, like, how all of the different violent actions happened is like not American history at Mm -hmm. all it's very different and then the author talks about how the book was inspired by homophobia in her hometown rather than like literally race relations it's like it's a it's weird if you think about how the book's actually written and how people are taking it, which is, like, obviously when you put art into the world, the people who take it in make it their own and it's, like, not your thing anymore. Like, it doesn't matter what she meant when she mm-hmm. wrote it. It matters what people think about it. But I do think it's, like, interesting the way people are coding it. Yeah, and um, like I
2: had mentioned before, I think there's a lot of ways the author kind of took pains to not make it seem such like a like a specific allegory for american race relations and we could debate as to like whether or not that was like effective or if it kind of portrayed like this weird like everyone can be racist type of idea
0: yeah and like one of the big um overarching issues other than just you know wondering if a lauren's character is problematic is a. Uh, people really wanted this book to be yanked from shelves and to not get published in the first place, and they wanted to just, like, shut it down. And I think that that's a really big debate, like, whether or not you like the book, talking about um, not getting it published in the first place. So what what do you guys think about, um, like, whether or not this book should exist anyway?
1: I think if you don't read the book, you're going to say, like, take it down based on the reviews. Like, I read the book, I thought it was, I thought it was good except for the end because it like let me down and just that was like really piss poor like creative writing kind of like etiquette you you can't give your reader all these little nuggets and then not reward them you know but like I don't think it I don't think it deserved to be pulled off the shelves I don't think that it deserves to be viewed as some kind of social justice commentary or magic piece of literature it doesn't it doesn't hold that weight I'll put it on my shelf right next to the Hunger Games, not Twilight but the Hunger Games and it's like it's it's fun reading that's it
0: <laughs> and I know that we were talking about um the like white girl superhero narrative and how the the author said in an interview that her overarching theme is that any government or culture or religious system of belief that does not promote diversity can lead to a very dark place, kind of like the path to Mordor. That's an exact quote. So, oh, no. so, do you guys think that she did that? Do you think that she like she told everyone that like if you don't promote diversity, you are going to a dark place? I uh, I felt so validated when I read that. First of all,
2: because like as soon as I got done reading the book, I was like, this is about authority somehow, <laughs> and I was like, haha, like I'm right somewhat. Um, I think the book is very self-aware in that aspect, which is why I you know, I don't think it should be pulled. Like, I think it should be out there for people to read and consume. Um, I think it's very self-aware of that. And the fact that it doesn't normalize these behaviors as much, like, we can, there's definitely debate as to how Ellerin's growth is believable or not, or if she's, like, some white savior complex, but, like, the book is very, like, self-aware of what it's doing. It's It's self-aware that it's, like, Look at all this, like, authority shit that's happening. It's making these characters' lives and their choices, like, very difficult. Like, a lot of people are relying on authority instead of their own, like, inner kind of moral compass to make decisions in the book. As as for the path to Mordor thing, I feel like she makes that pretty clear in the sense that any deviation from the social norm in this universe either results in, like excommunication from your (laughs) from your race basically or your society uh imprisonment or execution like towards the end when uh the high priest or high mage vogel becomes the like the big spooky chancellor dude there's so many there's so many titles in this book um Everything that he proposes is, like, if you do this that is out of line with, like, what we're saying, you're going to be executed. You know? And that's just kind of, like, that's terrifying to live in, like, that type of authoritarian society. Um, Like, I feel like she makes those elements pretty clear and those allusions to, like, other authoritarian and, like, dictatorship type of societies that meet any sort of dissent or any sort of deviation From the status quo as a direct threat to authority and as something that should be exterminated immediately Um, I, I don't think there's any justification given in this book or like any normalization to those type of behaviors like I think it's pretty clear that like the ideas that Aunt Vivian's proposing saying like you know all the Selkies should be like round up and shot and like Vogel's ideas with like all of this like execution stuff and like sending like FaZe and Ursk's like back to like the work camps and whatnot. I feel like it she makes it pretty clear that like this isn't something that's like good <laughs> <laughs> to put <What>? it lightly. <laughs> so, I don't know. I, I think it should definitely still be published. Like, are there like some problems with it? Like, yeah, I think so. Um, but overall I think it's self-aware and not normalizing a bad behavior so that's makes it less problematic overall so we're drawing closer to the end of our show we still have a couple more points we want to hit but our guest has to leave us sadly so thanks to Daphne for coming and being our guest
1: this evening yes. and
2: imparting her beautiful wisdom on us. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Thank you for having me and it's been very very real and hilarious. <gasps> oh my god, see you guys! Bye! Bye. Bye.
0: that the book should obviously be published, in my opinion. Like, there's no reason to hold this book off, because it's nothing special. Like, it's another book with a white main character who realizes that she's racist, except for that it's in a fantasy society. So, like, it's really nothing special. It's nothing groundbreaking. It's not, like, the social justice Bible that the author, like, wanted it to be, I don't think. And it's definitely just not anything new in the book world. Like, it didn't need to be a big deal and um and i don't think that it should be held off of shelves i don't think that it needs to be like a must buy for anyone but yeah that's just my opinion like i it's just another book about a, a white girl who tries to save the day the controversy in my opinion for this book didn't need to get as big as it was like yeah someone wrote nine thousand words on how horrifyingly dangerous this book is for anyone to read and i I disagree that it's that dangerous. I think that, like, at times it's problematic. It can be kind of shitty, but, like, I don't think it's, like, dangerous because some of the worst parts are, as Kelly mentioned earlier, coded as bad. Like, you're thinking to yourself as you're reading it, like, oh, this is bad. And it's not because of your brain that's doing it. It's because the writer wrote it in a very specific way to code it as not as not feeling good to the reader. And so I, I think... That it's not super dangerous, but also, you know, it's not a big deal. Like, there didn't need to be this much controversy. Yeah,
2: I agree. Like, this isn't nearly the most problematic thing I've ever read, or the most problematic piece of media I've ever consumed. Like, for for me, it's really hard for me to turn my brain off whenever I'm, like, watching something or reading something because I'm always just constantly analyzing things. And if there's too much to analyze and if it's just, like, too blatantly problematic, like, I just absolutely can't do it. Like, I cannot watch The Big Bang Theory. It does not work for me.
1: Oh, there are man. so many things
2: I'm just sitting there that, like, oh, my God, like, why did you... Just, why? Um, and there wasn't really... Too many screaming points in this book where I was like, wait a second, this isn't, like, a super great way to, like, portray this, you know? Like, obviously, like, Ellard being, like, a basic Becky is kind of, like, what are the, like, the problematic things? But that's, like, that's who she is as a character, you know? And you're kind of, like, with her on her journey of basic Beckiness, And, like, meanwhile, the other characters kind of, like... Not with her as in supportive... Just you're saying. just like, just there. You're, you're along for the ride and you're just kind of experiencing things as she's experiencing them. And to the reader, seeing the way that other characters react to her, I feel, is kind of where that sets it apart from being problematic. Just kind of like, I don't know, in the office. Like, Michael Scott is like really problematic a lot of the times. And like, you know, tells a lot of, like, racist and sexist jokes, and is just generally, like, you know, a horrible person for, like, a few seasons. But you see the way all the other characters react to him, where they're all just like, oh, Michael, like, it really matters as to how the characters interact with their environment and vice versa, as to whether or not it makes it problematic, you know?
0: Yeah, and I mean, like, in our last episode when we were talking about how sexist and horrible a lot of the things said in the in the book called fraternize that we talked about the the issue wasn't that there were bad people or that there were off-color jokes or that there was like you know there were some bad things said the issue was that those things were normalized like those things were rewarded they were viewed as funny they were viewed as good they were viewed as normal Mm -hmm. Um, normal behavior and so that that's where the issue comes in and i personally didn't get that feeling reading this book like i got that feeling reading fraternize obviously because i complained about it for like (laughs) 10 million (laughs) hours you know about about how horrible it was and how i couldn't even finish reading it because it was so horrible but like I was reading this book and yeah there were times where I was really cringing and there were times where I was really uncomfortable but there was no time when I was sitting there like goddamn this book is normalizing racism like I didn't I didn't really get that yeah feeling.
2: it's in fraternized there's nothing challenging the characters in the environment as to their views it's just kind of like this is accepted
0: this is fine yeah so basically this book should just be like treated it's just another book it's a book about a white girl who has to figure out that she's not or has to figure out that she's racist. And like, sure, there's a lot of books like that, but it's definitely not the most dangerous thing we've read. Bottom line, that's that's the idea. And um I hope you guys have enjoyed a lot of the a lot of the time we spent breaking down this book on this podcast. Um raw audio, just in case you're wondering. Raw audio time without editing, 2 hours and 12 minutes. <laughs> And I still have
2: so much more to say, but we can't do, like, five episodes on this.
0: I mean, we could, but... (laughs) We skipped a lot. Just so you guys know, like, there was a lot of things that we brought out in this budget. We all commented on it, and we didn't even bring it up because we had so many things to talk about. Our budget
2: was 12 pages single space this week, so... We have given a lot of thought to this book. We have analyzed it from a lot of different angles. It's not that bad. We
1: hope you, uh, <laughs> we hope you enjoyed
0: it, though, all of the fun analysis. And uh, hopefully those of you who haven't read the book aren't too confused. Yes.
2: And also we just want to thank one more time our guest Daphne for coming on and sharing her opinions and perspectives on the book as well and thank you for listening
0: feel free to uh continue the conversation if you want i mean we skipped a lot of things so if you want to talk to us about things that we did say things that we didn't say any questions for us or daphne we'll we'll definitely forward it on to her you can tweet us at at fiction underscore forward or you can email us at fiction at fictionist um Feel free to talk to us about anything, including, but not limited to, puppies. And definitely get in contact. Nice. And join us next time for episode four. Ooh, episode four. It's already the fourth episode. Wow.
1: Twilight! I have. Twilight though. (laughs) It beat out Twilight. I don't think so. I don't think so. We're not gonna go there. Oh man. There were so many things in
2: this book that reminded me of Twilight too, honestly. Because
0: everybody was hot. Everyone was hot. Yes, is it because everyone's skin was sparkly? Yes! And there's like a love triangle between like the wolf guy
1: kind of ambiguously, you know, The black wit doesn't have any vampires, though. She definitely made sure to avoid that.
0: (laughs) Yes, that's true.